The following message is by Brother Doug Birch, Associate Pastor at North Bryant Baptist Church. For more information on what we believe and for many other helpful Bible lessons, we encourage you to visit our website at northbryantbaptist.org. That is northbryantbaptist.org. If you have your Bibles, please turn to the book of Acts chapter 3. I know what time it is, and I know there's two full chapters here in the bulletin. I'm not going to cover every single verse. I remember when I first surrendered to preach, um, I guess I went longer than most people do on their first sermons, and uh, a few weeks later, I was asked to preach on that Wednesday night at church. Uh, at our church then, we, we had kind of an abbreviated Wednesday. We had classes, and then we came into the sanctuary and had a short sermon. And uh, at the time, my uncle Carl Ritchie was associate pastor, and our pastor had resigned, and um, so he was kind of in charge of things. And he came to me and said, Doug, can you preach for only 20 minutes? Uh, <laughs> I guess. We'll, we'll get out okay. Acts chapter 3, beginning in verse 1. Now Peter and John went up together into the temple at the hour of prayer, being the ninth hour, and a certain man lame from his mother's womb was carried, whom they had laid daily at the gate of the temple, which is called Beautiful, to ask alms of them that entered into the temple, who, seeing Peter and John about to go into the temple, asked an alms. And Peter, fastening his eyes upon him with John, said, Look on us. And he gave heed unto them, expecting to receive something of them. Then Peter said, Silver and gold have I none, but such as I have give I thee. In the name of Jesus Christ of Nazareth, rise up and walk. And he took him by the right hand and lifted him up, and immediately his feet and his ankle bones received strength. And he, leaping up, stood and walked and entered with them into the temple, walking and leaping and praising God. And all the people saw him walking and praising God, and they knew that it was he which sat for alms at the beautiful gate of the temple. And they were filled with wonder and amazement at that which had happened unto him. And as the lame man which was healed held Peter and John, all the people ran together unto them in the porch that is called Solomon's, greatly wondering. And when Peter saw it, he answered unto the people, Ye men of Israel, why marvel ye at this? Or why look ye so earnestly on us, as though by our own power or holiness we made this man to walk? The God of Abraham and Isaac and of Jacob the God of our fathers has glorified His Son, Jesus, whom you delivered up and denied Him in the presence of Pilate when He was determined to let Him go. But you denied the Holy One and the just and desired a murderer to be granted unto you and killed the Prince of Life, whom God has raised from the dead, whereof we are His witnesses. And His name, through faith in His name, has made this man strong, whom ye see and know." Yea, the faith which is by him hath given him this perfect soundness in the presence of you all. I want to pause right there and just kind of give us a brief background of what we're looking at here. This is the church in Jerusalem in its infancy. Very, very 
uh, new church. Now, obviously, we understand Jesus established his church during his personal ministry, but this is right after the ascension. It hasn't been all that long. We don't know how many, uh, how long the span of time is between chapters two and three, but I'm going to guess weeks, you know, maybe months. Certainly in chapter two, uh, we have this miracle that happened on the day of Pentecost when the Holy Spirit in the capacity of the Comforter came upon the church. Now, it's popular in mainstream religion to say that the day of Pentecost was the uh, birthplace of the church. Uh, we believe that Christ started the church, so it was already in existence by the time that happened. But certainly something very miraculous happened. The, the Comforter came on the church, empowering the church, because remember when Jesus left... He left the church. He was its first comforter. He said, I will send you another comforter, which is the Spirit. So the church had marching orders before, but he said, stay in Jerusalem. And on the day of Pentecost, now remember, Pentecost means the 50th. So we're talking about the 50th day after the Passover and their Feast of Weeks. And so also in Luke's writing here in the book of Acts, he says that Jesus, after his resurrection, was seen of the disciples and seen of many for 40 days. So if you say 40 days and then the 50th day, it hasn't been that long from chapter 1 to chapter 2, or the ascension to chapter 2 on the day of Pentecost. It's only been about 10 days since Jesus was with them. And then the, the Holy Spirit and the capacity of the Comforter comes on the church, and that's when they began to speak in languages not previously known to themselves, and then everybody was hearing. It wasn't just the speaking in other languages, it was the hearing. That was miraculous because you had people from all over the world gathered there, and they were listening to the apostles and listening to Peter preach, and everyone was hearing the gospel of Jesus Christ in their own language. God was calling, uh, uh, giving them the ability to be able to communicate with all of these people, and they were able to understand and grasp everything. And the same thing that we just read in chapter 3 happened in chapter 2, when they began speaking in these other languages, and people were marveling at this miraculous thing. Peter and the other apostles began to preach to them and said the same thing, essentially, that he says that we just read in chapter 3. And when he talked about it, he talked about the name of Jesus Christ, said the same thing. Jesus came, you rejected him, you killed him, he rose again on the third day, and he is alive today. Now, those people there in chapter 2, the scripture tells us that many of them were convicted by what Peter had said. And also, at this conviction, now some of them didn't believe, that's always the way that it is, but they asked him, what should we do? And he said, you need to repent. You need to repent, and you need to be baptized. And they did. They followed, many of them. It says in chapter 2 and verse 41, 3,000 souls that day were added to the church. 3,000. I mean, imagine an invitation like that, Brother Matt. 3,000 were saved that day because they understood that they had rejected their Messiah. And now, there, again, there's a gap between chapters 2 and 3. We don't know how long. It may not have been very long at all. It does say that the verse 47 of chapter 2, they continued praising God, having favor with all the people, and the Lord added to the church daily such as should be saved. Then we immediately go into chapter 3. Peter and John went up together into the temple. Now, this is kind of a 
kind of a neat little reference because you back up to chapter 2, verse 46, they were continuing daily with one accord and in the temple. It does seem to be that there is a place that they're gathering. Now, in chapter 1, it says that the number of them was 120. They first we see the, the apostles in an upper room, but then other people are numbered with them, 120 in all, and so they seem to be all by themselves there, but it would also seem to be on the day of Pentecost, they were gathered in a public place, and they were probably gathered in the court of the temple. And I say that because when this miracle happened and the Holy Ghost had descended upon them, immediately Luke records that there were people they were witnessing. They were, they were from all over the world. And because they were there for the celebration of the Pentecost, it would seem to me that they were probably in a most prominent public place being the temple. And because there were so many people that were saved and added to the church, it stands to reason that in those early, early days, they probably were gathering in the court of the temple. Remember, they had the, the temple proper, and then they had the outer courts around them, and this seems to be the place that they were going. And so it's very likely, probably, they, Peter and John, were going uh, at the hour of prayer into the temple because that was probably a time when many of the people gathered together and had their church service. It was a public place. It was the place where uh, it wasn't just I mean, they weren't just in a, in a church building. I mean, they didn't have them then. So they're going into this place uh, that they could all meet and gather. And that, that, this was a huge place. This was a place where, remember, Jesus had run everybody out because they had turned this into, uh, he called it a den of robbers. You know, you, you've, you've turned this thing. It should have been a house of prayer. You've just completely distorted the reason for people being here. So if this is if I'm if I'm correct in what I'm assuming here, it would be a perfect place for the first church to gather with thousands of people in attendance and 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 worshiping the Lord there. And again, the same sort of thing happens. You've got Peter and John coming into the temple, but laid at the gate, there was a certain man. Now, if we jumped ahead, we would see that this man had been over 40 years, that he was over 40 years old, and he was always being brought to the gate so that he could ask alms of people entering in. Alms was an act of compassion, any, any kind of help that you could offer the person. As I was studying this, I was struck with something, and I thought, you know, Everybody knew him. That's one of the reasons they were so amazed. Everybody knew who this guy was. They saw him every single day. You know, it's not been that long since Jesus was there. Jesus probably was seen by this man. He taught in the temple. He was healing people even in the temple. Now, this, this is an aside. I can't prove this from Scripture, but I just got to wondering... I wonder if that fella was seeing these things happen, happening, God, uh, Jesus healing people, and perhaps, what about me? I mean, I've been here every day. For years, I've been here every day. And I can just imagine, because Jesus knows what's going to happen, I can just imagine, perhaps, and again, this is my opinion, I can't prove it by Scripture, but maybe Jesus is kind of looking at him, you just wait. You just wait. Your time's coming. 
And here we are, this man is just sitting there asking alms, and, and Peter and John are coming by, and then Peter, it says, verse 4, fastened his eyes on him. He just, he held his eyes, held that gaze on him. Now, I don't know if the Lord had told Peter and John to do this ahead of time. I don't know if they had any inkling that they were going to do this. But for whatever reason, this is the day that God had chosen for them to heal this man. And so he says, look at us. And the fellow just thought, okay, well, he wants me to look at him before he gives me some money. And so he looks at him. And Peter says, I don't have any silver and gold. Now, you back up to chapter 2. The church had already tried to make sure that there was nobody in the church that had any need. Everybody just seemed to give uh, out of an abundance and then gave to the apostles that they might distribute to everybody else. Perhaps that's why they didn't have any money. Uh, I think that just uh, shows that there was, this, uh, there was this zeal to try to just help everybody else so that nobody has anything. Anyway, he's saying, I don't have the money that you're after, but I've got something better. He says, in the name of Jesus Christ of Nazareth, rise up and walk. Now, if you've never, ever been able to walk, there's a disconnect between your brain and your legs and your feet and your ankles. And it's amazing to me that it is not only his strength that he received, but God clicked something in the brain where he didn't have to, you know, first stumble and then start to walk. Immediately, Peter grabbed him by the hand, lifted him up, and immediately his feet and ankle bones received strength. And he knew it. It says that he leapt up and stood and walked and entered with them into the temple. Look at this, walking and leaping and praising God. He knew this was from God. Now, I think the most popular understanding of this is, is, is at least what I've read, is perhaps this is when that lame man was saved. I don't have, I don't have anything to argue about that except that it doesn't have to be that way. He may have already been a believer and listening to the Lord preach and maybe wondering, why am I not being healed? Um, but he certainly, most certainly understood, because Peter's going to say it later, that it was the faith in the name of Jesus Christ that God used to cause this miraculous healing to occur. And he was praising God for it. He knew beyond a shadow of a doubt what the cause was of him being able to walk after 40 years, lame from his mother's womb. After 40 years, now he can walk and go into the temple with the rest of him and praise God. Everybody else, and now not the church, but other people that were gathered there, seeing this as they were filled with wonder and amazement. The word wonder literally comes from a word that means unable to think clearly. It's like, I, I, did you see that, what happened? That's the guy we've seen for years, 
sitting there begging for alms. Now, now look at him, just filled with wonder and amazement. Literally, the word amazement is the same kind of idea. It means bewilderment, the displacement of the mind. They just couldn't understand how this could happen. But interestingly enough, what Peter did in chapter 2 and the other apostles, he does the same thing here. Why are you looking at us? And notice what he says. When he saw it, he says, you men of Israel, verse 12, why marvel ye at this and why look ye so earnestly on us as though by our own power or holiness we made this man to walk? He says the same thing. He brings them back. This is the second indictment against Israel where they crucified their Messiah. They, he'd already done it in chapter 2. He says the same thing. He says, The God of Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob, the God of our fathers, has glorified His Son, Jesus. Now, that's key. Because Jesus has been crucified recently. And yes, it was the leaders who pushed for it, but remember, it was the people too. Where that, that triumphal entry into Jerusalem, where we first call it the triumphal entry because everybody's shouting, Hosanna, save us! Recognizing Jesus, or at least outwardly recognizing Jesus as their Messiah. But then just a few days later, they're shouting, crucify Him. So Peter is just calling it like it is. God glorified His Son, Jesus, whom you delivered up and denied Him in the presence of Pilate when Pilate was determined to let Him go. You denied the Holy One and the Just One and desired a murderer to be granted to you and killed the Prince of Life, whom God has raised from the dead. Now, that's also very important. Whereof we are His witnesses. That's exactly what Jesus said would happen back in Matthew chapter 10. When Jesus was speaking to them, you are going to be witnesses for me. He even told them there's going to come a time and they're going to bring you and deliver you up to councils. They're going to arrest you. They're going to mistreat you. You're going to have to be called on to give an account of why you're saying what you're saying, why you're preaching. Don't worry about it. Don't even think about beforehand what, I, what you're going to say because I'm going to give you the words. And that's what's happening here. He says we are witnesses of these things. And notice he says it again. Verse 16, His name, through faith in His name, uh, has made this man strong whom ye see and know. Yes, the faith in, uh, which is by Him has given Him His perfect soundness, wholeness, completely whole, in the presence of you all. He says, Now I know, I perceive that you did it through ignorance, as did your rulers. Verse 18, but those things which God before had showed by the mouth of all His prophets that Christ should suffer, He has so fulfilled. This has happened as um, a fulfillment of Scripture. In other words, yes, they denied Jesus. Yes, they called on Him to be crucified, but this was part of God's plan. It isn't that they now were free from the sinfulness of rejection of their Messiah, they're still going to have to pay for that. They're still guilty of that. But this was God's plan for His own Son to die on behalf of everybody else. So that when, when we uh, come into 
contact with the reality of Jesus dying on the cross, we have to deal with our own sins. We deal with our own sins by confessing them, agreeing with God that we are sinners separated from God, and we place our faith in Jesus Christ. And because of that, having faith in what He did on my behalf, I am saved. And anybody who believes and calls on the name of the Lord will be saved. He said that on the day of Pentecost. Whoever calls on the name of the Lord will be saved. And so he's saying the same thing here. The same thing that he said on the day of Pentecost. Verse 19, chapter 3. Repent, therefore, and be converted, that your sins may be blotted out when the times of refreshing shall come from the presence of the Lord. Now, some translations say that the times of refreshing you know, sometimes you, you get to study in a conjunction, you get in the weeds. I studied for two days that conjunction. And I found one lexicon who said, yes, it can be when. Some of the others say, no, it's that. When is wrong. Everything, King James was wrong. Well, so I'm just going to let Matt figure that out and, and, and tell us the, the real thing. It can be either one as far as I can see. One of, it does change the, the reference a little bit, but we're talking about times of refreshing. And I think the times of refreshing refer to the millennial kingdom when everything is really going to be good. And Peter is saying, you want to be a part of that. So repent and be converted so that those times of refreshing can come to you. And or when those times of refreshing come, you'll be a part of that. That's what he's trying to say. He's trying to get them to understand that they are the ones that, re that rejected the Lord. Now, I'll jump ahead because I want to get into chapter 4. But when he did that, the scripture does tell us a little bit later in chapter 4 that five thousand men were saved. Now it's different. In chapter 2 it said 3,000 souls, but in chapter uh, 4 when it's talking about these people that were saved, it's males. They just counted the males. So there's probably way more than 5,000 because you've got women, you've got young people being saved. But the point I'm trying to make is the nation of Israel is responding to the preaching of the powerful name of Jesus Christ. And they're converting, they're believing, and they're being saved. They're being part of this church. So that was the second indictment. The first indictment on, uh, on the day of Pentecost, people are saved. And then the second indictment, when this man was healed, later again in chapter 4, we're given, the, well, it's in verse 4, many of them believed, uh, of chapter 4, uh, that heard the word and believed, and the number of the men was about 5,000. So you've got the preaching of the name of Jesus Christ and people believing and responding to it. Again, remember, this man, they knew him. He had been lame from his mother's womb and had been lame for 40 years. And they looked at that and, and Peter said, no, we didn't do it. it, it it's the name of Jesus Christ of Nazareth. And he says that, he says that, to the man so that everybody understands we're talking about the one that Israel had crucified. Because Jesus would have been a common name, you know, Joseph, I mean, Joshua, those, those are Hebrew names. But he said, Jesus Christ, the Messiah of Nazareth, completely uh, removing any kind of doubt as to who he is talking about. Well, they're doing this, 
and the Lord is getting the glory. But notice what happens in chapter 4. As they spake unto the people, the priests and the captain of the temple and the Sadducees came upon them, being grieved that they taught the people and preached through Jesus the resurrection from the dead. Now notice these people, the priests. These are the ones that God had originally instructed to teach the people of Israel the things of God. And then you've got the Sadducees. Sadducees are made up of priests. They are made up of um, uh, people from the Levites. And then you've got the captain of the temple. That is sort of the temple police. Uh, there were 24 courses of priests that were separated. There were so many of them. And so they worked kind of in shifts. And so here you've got these people being grieved, really, really not pleased at all of what's happening here. Now, notice the contrast. And what I want you to see is, lost friend, you say no to the Holy Spirit's conviction long enough, and you'll get to the point where you deny something that's right in front of you. What's happening here is this man who had been lame for all that time, everybody else is thinking, wow, look at that. And then when Peter says, it's by Jesus Christ, that's how come this person can walk. And then everybody else is thinking, wow, we, we really messed up. But look what's happening with these people. You might say the congregation's believing, but the preachers and the deacons won't. They're grieved that Peter and John are preaching but, and teaching, but preaching Jesus through Jesus, the resurrection from the dead. See, remember, the Sadducees didn't believe in the resurrection. And now here these people, they think they've gotten rid of Jesus. We just crucified him. He's gone. And now these guys are saying that he's alive. And, and people are believing it. Well, they laid hands on them. Now, that's not an ordination service. <laughs> They laid hands on them and put them in hold unto the next day, for it was now eventide. Now remember, when they went to the temple, it was the hour of prayer. <clears throat> I didn't say that. Ninth hour of prayer, that would have been about 3 p.m., but now it's the end of the day. <clears throat> it says, uh, it was now eventide, howbeit many of them which heard the word believed, and the number of the men was about 5,000. It came to pass on the morrow that their rulers and elders and scribes, and Annas the high priest, and Caiaphas, and John and Alexander, and many as were of the kindred of the high priest, were gathered together at Jerusalem. Now, now they're going to be brought into the council. This is the Sanhedrin, made up of a mixture of Sadducees and Pharisees. But notice here, Annas is the high priest. Now, at this time, it's not really something that uh, is chosen by lineage and by uh, the nation of Israel. These Rome was in power, and they're the ones who put up the high priest. Caiaphas had been deposed. Caiaphas is actually the father-in-law to Annas, but Caiaphas was considered, you might say, high priest emeritus. You know, he had clout, and so he's there. And then John and Alexander, we don't really know who they were except... Uh, Caiaphas did have uh, sons named John and Alexander. Some believe that they are his sons, but then it also in the end of the verse says, as many as were of the kindred of the high priest. So it's, it's, it's possible they were talking about uh, this family, kind of like a mafia. They're in charge. You don't buck the system. 
And so they're very upset because they think that they've gotten rid of Jesus. And now this church that everybody likes, it seems, and thousands and thousands of people are now gathering. They just don't like how it's happening, how this is happening. When they had set them in the midst, now notice they are, they're gathered with the council. They're setting them in the midst. And they say, by what power or by what name have you done this? And in my studies, I was looking at this. I hadn't seen this before. But somebody mentioned that, isn't it wonderful how you've got the Supreme Court of the Jews, the Sanhedrin. Now, if the church ever wanted to go set up a mission field in the middle of the Sanhedrin court, they were, that was off limits. How is God going to pull this off? I know what I can do. Peter and John, you go heal that man. And then you'll get in there. And they're going to say, whose authority, by whose authority are you doing this? Perfect. Here we are, the Sanhedrin court. I'll tell you how we can do this. I'll tell you who gave us the authority uh, to, do, to do this. It says, then Peter, filled with the Holy Ghost. Now, I know that gets kicked around in some circles. Filled with the Holy Ghost is not some emotional fervor that comes over somebody. Being filled with the Holy Ghost is simply yielding to the will of God and being uh, willing to do exactly what God wants you to do. Now remember, Peter and John and the rest of the, of the apostles had already been told, don't worry, you're going to be brought before councils. You're going to be uh, uh, constrained to give an account of why you're doing what you're doing. Don't worry about what you're going to say. I'm going to give you what you're going to say. That's what's happening. They're being filled with the Holy Spirit. They're just, you know, it's not, it's not Peter and John saying, what are we going to say? They're just, here it is. Fulfillment of exactly what Jesus said was going to happen. So they're filled with the Spirit. They're just submissive, getting out of the way and allowing God to speak through them. And they say this very thing, filled with the Holy Spirit, you rulers of the people and elders of Israel. Notice what he says. If we this day be examined of the good deed done to the impotent or the weak or feeble man, by what means he is made whole. See how that, he prefaced that? He just kind of put that in there. Okay, if we're going to be judged by a good deed, there's no law against healing somebody. And they didn't even do it on the Sabbath day like Jesus did. Why are they so up in arms? Okay, if we're going to have to be giving an account by how we did a good deed and healed this man, if we're examined that way, be it known, verse 10, be it known unto you all and to all the people of Israel, now get this, that by the name of Jesus Christ of Nazareth, whom ye crucified, whom God raised from the dead, even by him... Does this man stand here before you whole? Now, I, want, I want to show you something really, really neat. You see the word whole used a couple of times here. The word whole in verse 10, I didn't look at the ESV. I think it still says the same thing. But that word in the Greek at the end of verse 10 means healthy, as you would expect it to mean. But if you back up to verse 9, it's a different word. He said, if we be examined this day, the good deed done to this impotent man by what means he is made whole. You know what word that is? Look over to verse 12. Verse 12 of chapter 4 says, Neither is there salvation in any other, for there is none other name under heaven given among men whereby we must be saved. It's the same word. 
saved. It's a play on words. What he is equating, it's a picture. This man, this impotent man, this man that couldn't, had no, no strength at all in his legs, he could not walk, is a picture of a lost man. I'm not saying that he was lost, maybe he was, but it's a picture of what a lost person is. But when he was made whole, he was completely whole. He was delivered of that weakness. He was leaping and praising God. It is the, Peter uses the same word to show that when a lost person believes in the name of Jesus Christ of Nazareth, he is saved, completely saved. And so he is using that word, I think, on purpose to show Salvation is found in Jesus Christ. Complete salvation. He said, verse 11, This is the stone which was set at naught of you builders, which has become the head of the corner. Now this comes from a passage in Psalm 118, verse 22. That's a psalm of David. <clears throat> You've heard Brother Matt talk about near interpretations and far interpretations. Twofold um, applications. David is writing from a standpoint, and it is a messianic psalm. It's talking about the, the, the Messiah. But he's talking about a time when he is rejected. You remember when David became king uh, or anointed king and there were people rejecting him? But even though he was rejected, God made David king. He was that stone that had been rejected, said it not, but God made him the head of the corner. That was the near interpretation. The far or the twofold application is the Messiah. He is the one who was rejected, and God made him the head of the corner. Now, that cornerstone uh, is, is really debated. First of all, physically, when they were building buildings, they would lay a foundation stone, a cornerstone. That cornerstone it was set, and from that part, that was the level and the side walls, both walls. It was built, everything was built off of that. That was the most important stone. It was, Jesus was that cornerstone. Now, in Zechariah, uh, it has a verse that talks about the headstone. I think this is where people uh, kind of get confused when they think, well, how can you be a cornerstone and a capstone? Because sometimes it's talked about that way. Incidentally, this is just an aside, a little trivia. The NIV in verse 11, the 1984 uh, uh, publication of the NIV says capstone, but in 2011 they changed it to cornerstone. Ask them why, I don't know. But I think it should be cornerstone. I think it should be foundation. But I think people understand it as a capstone or a keystone. Think of an arch. When an arch and they were building things out of stone and you had that oblong one right in the center, it was holding the rest of it up. And Jesus is the head. He is the keystone. Here, I think we are talking about the corner, uh, but I like what Brother Matt said. I wrote this down when you were preaching, Brother Matt, because I thought it was great. He said, this shouldn't be causing us uh, confusion because Jesus is also called the first and the last, Alpha and Omega, the beginning and the end, the author and the finisher. See, I am listening sometimes. Um, so so it, it's, it shouldn't cause us to be confused when we say, well, he, how can he be the, the foundation and the head at the same time? Well, he just is, you know. Um, so, but anyway, back to what Peter is saying. He says to the Sanhedrin court, this is the stone that was set 
at naught of you builders. You see, that stone had to be perfect. It, if it wasn't right, the rest of the building was going to be off. And so, in a sense, what they were do, doing is looking at Jesus and saying, that's not right. That's not what fits what we think is supposed to be. So they rejected him. You know, and then uh, Peter just says, that's the very one that you needed. That's the reason your building's falling apart. That's the reason, reason nothing is working. You rejected the very foundation cornerstone that God sent. And so he says he's become the head of the corner. Head is, the, is you know, from, again, Psalm. And you look at Psalm 118.22. The Hebrew word there is rosh. You remember um, uh, the chief prince of Meshach and Tubal talking about the Antichrist? Chief is rosh. So head doesn't have to mean the cap. It just means the most important, the chief, the captain. It's the most important stone. It's the head of the corner. And then he says, Neither is there salvation in any other, for there is none other name under heaven given among men whereby we must be saved. Now, it's, it's funny that when they said all that, it didn't, you, you've got the day of Pentecost, people are, are convicted and they're saved, and then you've got um, this episode, the people are convicted and saved, and now he's talking to the Sanhedrin, and they go, they, they, they look at him, and I don't, I don't read the rest of, it, rest of it, but it says they looked at him, and, and they, they said, well, they're unlearned and ignorant men. In other words, they hadn't been to our schools. They were common men. How do they know so much? They marveled, but they took knowledge that they had been with Jesus. That's about all they could figure out. Man, these people have been with Jesus. Because all they're doing is saying what Jesus said. And so they're going, they're going, <laughs> they set them aside and they go and talk to each other and say, what are we going to do about this? I mean, everybody knows this man. And a miracle has just been uh, performed and we can't deny it. Well, why would you want to deny it? But they do. That's what I'm saying. You say no to the Holy Spirit of God long enough, you deny what's right in front of your face. And that's what they're doing. They're saying, how, how can we get around this? We, we, you know, this, this man was healed. Now, I don't know if the man was arrested too, but when Peter's talking to them, uh, you know, it, it does, the narrative does seem to indicate that the, the man that had been healed was standing right there with them. They can't deny it. He, he's right there. He's, he, he, everybody knows who this guy is. We can't say, well, they didn't really perform a miracle. Because everybody would say, well, yeah, they did. You know? So it's just, it's, it's comical, but it's tragic. It's tragic that they even wanted to deny it. That's what they said in verse 16 at the end. We cannot deny it. But they still didn't want it to spread any further. So they threatened them. and said, you cannot speak to any other man in this name. So they called them together, told them, you cannot teach, preach at all in the name of Jesus. Well, Peter said, okay, well, if that's your judgment, Peter and John, verse 19, answered and said unto them, whether it be right in the sight of God to hearken unto you more than unto God, you be the judge. But we cannot but speak the things which we have seen and heard. So when they had further threatened them, they let them go, finding nothing how they might punish them. Because of the people, for all men glorified God for that which was done. For the man was above 40 years old on whom this miracle of healing was showed. The name of Jesus Christ of Nazareth. 
Faith in that name is what healed this man. We say, well, whose faith? Peter and John's or the man? Yes. Faith in the name of Jesus Christ is what healed this man. And it is faith in the name of Jesus Christ alone that saves you from a devil's hell. That's it. Faith in Jesus Christ. That is the only way we are getting to be in the presence of God in heaven. We must have faith in Jesus Christ. There's nothing else out there that has any kind of an authority. No matter what anybody else says, no matter these Sanhedrin people, they, they, they threatened them and, you know, and said, you can't do this anymore. And it gets worse. They, they keep threatening and eventually they're going to start beating them. But they just don't stop. They said, well, listen, we, we, we're witnesses. We know what the truth is. We're not going to stop. This is salvation, real salvation. And even as this world becomes more and more hostile towards Christianity, we must not give up. We must continue to believe on the name of Jesus Christ. Would you stand, please, as we prepare for an invitation? And would you bow with me, please? Lord, we thank you so much for your word. We thank you for the preservation of your word that is so convicting, that is so encouraging. We pray, Lord, that if there's anybody here today who has never trusted in you as personal Savior, we pray that this might be the day that hearts are turned toward you. We pray, Lord, that you would help us to understand that though the world may hate us for who we are, we know that they first hated you. Help us, Lord, to be encouraged as these uh, apostles were and this first church. Help us to continue to pray for strength. Help us, Lord, to always trust in your name. Forgive us of our sins in Jesus' name. Amen.